It was hundreds of thousands of gallons galore Stretching 32 miles down the Delaware shore There were geese in the marshes out looking for food They got stuck where they stood in the oncoming crude And it's oil, oil Yes, it's drifting to the sea Hello, welcome to uh, Gale Boys, the podcast you're currently listening to. I'm your uh, not-dead host, Jordan, joined by my uh, alive co-host, Liam. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gale Boys. This one's going to be third in our uh, 9-11 trilogy. We covered uh, we covered the video game boom. We covered the day itself. And now I want to get into something I find very interesting, especially after horrific tragedy and horrific, like, world events take place how does capitalism respond to that and i really don't think there's a film that kind of captures that better that's not a documentary than the film we're going to do here siriana uh written and directed by stephen gagan wrote traffic steven soderbergh directed that uh and this film is kind of like traffic but instead of the drug trade in mexico it's about the oil trade in the middle east the flux rules here good old uh kagan and uh Fucking uh, Soderbergh. It's uh, I actually rewatched Traffic. It was on the uh, TV recently for some reason, and that's very, very much reminds me of this movie. Yeah, it's like weird converging plot points and shit. Whereas oh. uh, Stephen uh, Soderbergh like mixes up with like different visual techniques. This has like five different plot points, and they're all like they all look the same. Yeah, the, the entire yeah, the entire movie just like. It's the yeah, like shot reverse shot. There's some like fun uh, shots here and there. That scene when um fucking uh, schlub George Crooney is walking away from the car as it explodes looks pretty fucking cool. Oh but, yeah, yeah. I, I love how it kind of what he does is kind of like rather than make that a uh, a heroic because he doesn't even really know what happens during that scene. The guy pulls the gun during this deal. Like what what the fuck is going on? Like he finds out something bad happened in this deal and he just kind of runs away and the car blows up and just chaos erupts. There's two reasons I think this movie is very uh, not like traffic in terms of how it's presented. Number one is um, this is only uh, Stephen Gagan's uh, second film as a director. He had been a screenwriter. He wrote Traffic, Rules of Engagement. But this is only his second stab at the director's chair. His other film was like a low-budget drama. It was, I have it right here. It was uh, called Abandoned. Isn't he one of like the 10 directors to the RDJ Doolittle movie yes, or something? Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> He's also, well, that, that's a movie I, I really hope we get a post-mortem on like i want to i want a book i want like a tell-all book of what happened on that movie <laughs> what was supposed to be robert downey jr's like comeback vehicle as an actor turned into a uh, four years of reshoots re-edits and complete fuckery behind the scenes <laughs> i cut five minutes of it uh recently and it's one of those movies that makes you wonder how does this exist maybe this was a good idea at some point it's been in development hell for so long, and it's like, yeah, this is one of those movies where that doesn't pay off. Well, who the fuck hires the director of this film? Imagine watching <laughs> Siriana. Imagine watching that film. Let's hire him to do a children's film. <laughs> what the they fuck? They should have got fucking uh, George Clooney's duo. I don't know doing good. He can speak. Uh, he can speak Farsi throughout the movie. That's very good. <laughs> That's partly why this is a hard film for us to talk about because we've watched this multiple times and. 
we're still kind of struggling to make sense of the whole picture because this is a movie like now going back to traffic, the way Soderbergh directs that film, you said with different color choices, different camera styles, that movie is where the Mexico filter meme comes from. Mm -hmm. If you ever see that joke of why in movie, every movie Mexico's lit yellow, that's where that comes from. It's not official, but it's very obvious. That's what started it. But that movie, Soderbergh holds your hand for most of that movie. Like I said, he guides you through in a way that's very easy to follow. If you miss five minutes of Syriana, you will be fucking lost. This movie does not hold your hand. It does not give a shit if you're lost. The, this whole movie is told through corporate speak and political jargon. It's a very difficult movie to just kind of sit down and like, you You imagine like, oh shit, yeah, in a George Clooney, Matt Damon political thriller. You're like a conservative dad. You see that, you're like, fuck yeah, and then you watch it. And you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. Holy shit. I do enjoy it for that because it's the only uh, like post 9-11 Iraq war movie that isn't some like fucking pro-army propaganda piece this isn't doing the frankie boyle thing of like oh america will invade your country then make movies about how sad that made their their soldiers this is uh this is the backroom dealings this is like guys in suits uh shaking hands with arab sheiks to decide how best to carve up the middle east and if you're not into that you're probably going to find this movie boring i think the movie is primarily like i said we're going to kind of structure this review we're going to kind of go piecemeal i think go through the different plots of the film uh let's we'll start with uh schlub fat man george clooney mm. who i this i'm going to say right now this might be my favorite george clooney performance because when you think george clooney he basically plays himself in every film even when he was making films with soderbergh like out of sight and shit like that or even batman and robin he is just, <laughs> I look, yeah, he is just playing Mr. Nespresso. That's why we call yeah. him Mr. Nespresso on this program, because that's what he's best at. Very attractive, gray old man selling you coffee products. But in this film... Yeah, he's, he's very photogenic, whereas in here he wins the Oscar for Buckingham. That's usually um, where you get like Oscar-winning performances. It's actors playing against type. And here he's some fat CIA dad who just sort of bumbles his way through the Middle East. I love it. He's got a beer belly. He's got a <laughs> terrible beer. They seen where we first meet him. He's at some type of strip club or something. He's at a nightclub in the middle of broad daylight, just day drunk with a prostitute crawling all over him. He's a mess. And he and I love the scene with, with his son in that restaurant because he can't really say to his son what he does. Somebody really screwed up at work. How? I was supposed to keep my mouth shut, and I didn't. What does mom do again? That we have to live in Islamabad? She's a secretary. <laughs> Robbie. Both of my parents are professional liars. Hey. He goes and has meetings with uh, Mrs. Secretary Viola Davis, talking about how we need an oil baron and a country in the Middle East that'll be pro-business. India is now our ally, Russia is now our ally, even China will be an ally. Everybody between Morocco and Pakistan is the problem. Failed states and failed economies, but Iran is a natural cultural ally of the U.S. Persians do not want to roll back the clock to the 8th century. I see students marching in the streets, I hear Katami making the right sounds. And what I'd like to know is, if we keep embargoing them on energy, then someday soon, are we going to have a nice, secular, pro-Western, pro-business government? If you keep, like, the sanction pressure on Iran, uh, 
give me a rough estimate of how long their government's going to fall so they can install a nice pro-American, pro-business government. I mean, I know um, I know this film was... George Clooney's... He was actually, like, on the verge of suicide while making this movie. When you uh, won the Oscar in uh, Syriana, the, the thing that fascinated me, and I didn't know this, you got injured on that set. Uh, oh, yeah. You hurt, you hurt your spine, right? There, there was yeah. a scene where a chair gets knocked over. You're tied up to a chair and gets knocked yeah. over. And I fell over and I tore my spine and my dura in two places... You know, about an inch and a half in one and you know, a, a half an inch in the other. And all the spinal fluid goes out and your <laughs> brain sinks in your head and it's attached to all these nerve endings. And it's really unbearably painful. And you have to lay down and you can't get up. And it's, I thought I had a stroke. I had to get on a plane and get back to a doctor. I went to a doctor and I had spinal fluid coming out of my nose. I thought I had a, a, sin, a horrible sinus infection or something happened. And spinal fluid was coming out of my nose. And he goes, oh, I know what it is. And then they had to do, I did a 12 hour surgery on Christmas Eve. God. You always worry about the doctor you get on Christmas Eve, right? That's not the time you wanna go. The pain of something like that, you must've been going out of your mind. I mean, you, you've said the pain was so bad. I, I considered suicide. It was so intense, the pain. It was wrecking yeah, it was your funny. life. But it wasn't suicide like, oh, I, I, I'm, you know, uh, woe is me in, in a way. It was more like, I, I just felt like, I can't possibly survive like this. I can't, you know, I started by taking, you know, you're taking a lot of painkillers and those are, that's a slippery slope, man, you know, mm. and they'll hand you the tub of Vicodin like this. You take one and you're like, and then you take a second one and then you take a glass of wine and you're like, this shit's pretty good. After a couple of months or a month, I guess, of that, I was like, I'm going to be in real trouble here with this. It's hard to imagine because Clooney's probably the wealthiest, like one of the wealthiest guys in Hollywood now. I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he's pretty fucking close oh, to Oh, he, he is a billionaire. It's hard to imagine. Oh yeah, he's, he has uh, multiple fingers and multiple pies. And it's hard to imagine that he's had like multiple stops and starts in his career. Yeah, he was. And yeah, and, <laughs> and it's like all comes down to fucking Steven Soderbergh. If he didn't have out of sight after Batman and Robin, he would have just... It would have been over for him. Yeah, he 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 was doing like the peacemaker. There's some no name yeah. action. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I've heard of it's it. A, it's not good, but uh, that that's where he was. And Soderbergh's a producer on this as well, which is partly why I think um, it has that. Soderbergh was like during like now he's sort of a weird outsider, but like in the mid two thousands he was a huge influence in Hollywood. Like he was making those oceans films that made huge money. He was producing movie. He was producing weird art house stuff. And like now he just sort of like goes to Sundance, makes movies with his iPhone and then disappears. He just hangs around his nose and if one guy deserves that, it's it's him. People tend to forget that like, yeah, the nineties belong to guys like Tarantino and Brian Singer, but Soderbergh, he was always there pumping out these fucking hits. Like he made Solaris which is still kind of insane to me, the, the fact that he was just allowed to do that. I mean, uh, uh, James Cameron was a producer on that. It was a huge <laughs> fucking pro. That's one of those weird... I don't mind his Solaris remake. There are people who hate it, but it's... George, that's another George Clooney banger. It's mm -hmm, pretty yeah. fucking good. Um, yeah, George Clooney in this film uh, is a fucking loser dad who's a... It's what I like. It's like a lot of... The, you know, you imagine these like CIA fixer men, guys in suits, badasses... 
he's a drunk just stumbling his way through and he he fucking the scene where he gets kidnapped off the street and they peel his fingernails off is one of the more harrowing scenes of the movie he gets uh tortured by iranian mark strong i confuse this movie with a uh, body of lies because that also has uh arab mark strong in it He's playing like the head of the Jordanian secret service or something. Yeah, I know. Whereas here, he's just some like random Hezbollah goon that yeah. pulls Charlie's his fingers off. Yeah, no, Mark Strong is a fucking chameleon. He's weird as fuck. <laughs> he's such a weird actor. He'll just show up and shit. Especially like this is before he. I love watching movies where like actors you know now who get their name on posters and shit. Before mm. that, they would be like, like Timothy Chalamet, we're going to get into that later, was in like a movie called I Love the Coopers, which is like a Hallmark Channel Christmas movie that I saw. People would like to uh, dab on Hollywood because they don't make movie stars anymore. And then you see guys like Chalamet who just slowly walk their way up to become these like giant franchise guys. And Clooney's kind of one of those guys. Yeah. He starts off doing fucking ER, then he's propelled to the heights of... Of fucking Hollywood. Like the, the the fact he did Batman as he was doing ER is is still kind of baffling to me. It's I will say this: it paid off. This movie he won the Oscar. He's he's now a billionaire. He kind of just does whatever he wants now. He directed like some movie like Boys in the Boat, which sounds like a really fucking nasty gay porn for some reason. Mm. That's the thing about this movie that is so hard to describe. It, it kind of reminded me of The Wire. Um, more than than traffic because the way that traffic is a pastiche of like just different stories that really have nothing to do with each other they're all just taking place around the same time there are scenes where like choices that characters make in this movie affect other storylines happening throughout and that's where i think the wire comparison comes into like the ia guy's gonna grab him and the prince doesn't show up because uh, matt damon tells him to go another way it's interesting like the way that like you know, the, the way it juggles the plot lines, it, the way it does. This has a, a fairly interesting cast. Half uh, high hitters, like fucking Clooney and Matt Damon. And then it's like half TV guys, like uh, Alexander Siddiq, Dr. Bashir, is playing the, the main Arab prince in this. Oh, I, and he'll like, he will carefully pop up in movies, but he's mostly known for like Star Trek and shit. I actually love uh, Alexander uh, Shear's character in this. That scene, that, probably the best scene in this movie when Matt Damon tells him. It's running out. And 90% of what's left is in the Middle East. This is a fight to the death. So what are they thinking? Great. They're thinking, keep playing. Keep buying yourself new toys. Keep spending $50,000 a night on your hotel room. But don't invest in your infrastructure. Don't build a real economy so that when you finally wake up, they will have sucked you dry and you will have squandered the greatest natural resource in history. And then the prince takes him in another room and says, I want to create a parliament. I want to give women the right to vote. I want an independent judiciary. I want to start a petroleum exchange in the Middle East. Cut the speculators out of the business. I'll put all of our energy up for competitive bidding. I'll run pipe through Iran to Europe like you proposed. I'll ship to China, except your president rings my father and says, I've got unemployment in Texas, Kansas, Washington State. One phone call later, we're stealing out of our social programs in order to buy overpriced airplanes. We owed the Americans, but we've repaid that debt. I accepted a Chinese bid, the highest bid. And suddenly I'm a terrorist. I'm a godless communist. 
he's, he's the closest to like a moral center in this movie which is why he gets uh, owned at the end oh that, yeah that, yeah that's a that's a wild ending of this movie also yeah matt damon's kind of an asshole in this too which i love because he uh, <laughs> i like how his uh like entrance into this uh this high-floating world of Arab sheiks and the fucking CIA as his son dies. His son gets electrocuted <laughs> in a swimming pool. Oh, that scene is fucking nuts. Does the... Because it constantly builds to it. Like, they keep cutting to, like, different exposed wires and lights flickering. And, and then he, the son just is electrocuted to death, which would be an immediate lawsuit, which they I don't they don't even show in this film. I want to know the, the amount of lawsuits that would be taking place but yeah he and he like what how he starts the film he's very much like he's a very chipper clearly joined this this industry because he thought he's like oh i'll make a difference and then his son dies and his character does a 180 he gets way more into the the darkness of it uh he by the end he tells his wife to basically go fuck herself somebody put a giant atm on our front lawn here's a question how do you think it looks to profit off the death of your six-year-old Fuck you. Fuck you. I changed the diapers. I put cream on rashes. I took him to his checkups. I cared about every fucking percentile. We're going back to the States. Good. It's fun to watch these kind of like, cause we see like, I'll say this about Gagan. He knows how to really cast actors against type because like what he does with some people like this and um, Jeffrey Wright, who's just some weird like, government guy and you know he gets he gets chewed out by tim blake nelson where he tim blake yeah that's a fucking great scene by the way it's like uh tim blake nelson is doing a foghorn loud con <laughs> accent where he's uh extolling the virtues of the the free market corruption charges corruption we have laws against it precisely so we can get away with it corruption is our protection corruption keeps us safe and warm Corruption is why you and I are prancing around in here instead of fighting over scraps of meat out in the street. Corruption is why we win. I love, I fucking love the way he pronounces that. Corruption? (laughs) (laughs) So great. He's like, he's, it's like he's in, uh, he thinks he's still in a Coen Brothers movie or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. He's he's still in fucking uh, Brother We're Out There with George Crowder. Them sirens did this to Pete. They loved him up and turned him into a that's the weird thing about this movie for as serious as it is there's a lot of uh, broad strokes we would say uh, P- Christopher Plummer's character is all broad strokes that fucking scene where he chews out the prince I know your brother the foreign minister is very bright I know your father too he threw the second creepiest party I've ever been to in Washington and as far as I can see you could probably use a bit of the cat's paw yourself. Second-born son, so beaten down by his family, he can't even tell me what he wants when he's asked straight out. A grown-up baby who's afraid of his brother? And maybe he wants to be king? Can you tell me what you want? I, I do enjoy he just uh, turns up to play a uh, mustache falling private sector guy. 
he basically like bribes uh, said explorer with your dad uh, when your dad came to me to be king he was he was pretty open about what he wanted why can't you do that yes. why can't you just tell me to to, to give you the contract I, I i do love that because like you know and that's another great uh, against type choice because you know we think christopher Plummer. you think of sound and music you think of the wholesome nice old man who rips up the nazi flag and harry's a fucking stone cold cutthroat evil fucking dude who will like i'll give you money and you'll be way more powerful than you are now because that's what that's the takeaway christopher Plummer is kind of the the ultimate evil of this movie the at the end of the day the money in the free market is what really makes a change here it has nothing to do with middlemen cia guys or princes it's fucking this guy who just goes in flashes a couple hundred dollar bills and says so how do you want to play this the entire plot revolves around like one oil company wants fucking access to some uh to some like pipeline and multiple people have to die for that including the crown prince of uh of a fucking country his, his his biggest crime is he wants like women to vote so he has to die for that it's th that that isn't that far off that was my takeaway from this is like and i also love the um because at the end of the movie when they get the pipeline they get all the tankers those guys they show these guys throughout the movie the the, the uh the two boys teenagers slowly being radicalized where they go to the mosque they're having lunch and the guy's talking about like you know, this is what we have to do to, to win our country back and shit like that. And they keep cutting back to them and you wonder why the fuck is this movie cutting back to these no-name characters? And then they show them on the boat with all the bombs and shit. They drive into the fucking tanker and that's it. Like that kind of leads to the end of the movie where everyone goes home miserable. Jeffrey Wright just yes. fucking goes home. I love that scene. There, there's this there's this vibe throughout the movie where he has this buddy of his at his house and he's like, please don't smoke in my house, please. And by the end of the film, Jeffrey Wright is so broken by all of the shit he's parlayed to. It's like, go ahead and smoke in my house. I don't fucking care anymore. No, he's one of the few characters that gets what he wants, but he's just completely defeated by the uh, the inner workings of the corrupt shit he has to deal with. Yeah, this uh, this movie's interesting plot-wise, because it kind of reminds me of an episode of Star Trek. You've got the A plot and the B plot, and they uh, all converge at the end, because you've got the fucking, um, that one bomb... That slips out of Quinny's hands at the end, and then you see it fucking hurtling towards the uh, the oil tanker by these fucking radicalized zoomers. It's uh, it's good stuff. No, it's uh, it's one of those things where yeah, th this is a very difficult. We're kind of all over the place because this movie is. I've watched this three times and I'm struggling to <laughs> all of the inner workings of this, and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I don't know if maybe because i feel like maybe if this script was in the hands of a of a more experienced director like Soderbergh, if Soderbergh had directed this i don't know if it would have been easier to follow or not but i do think the movie itself works one of the most fascinating things about america after 9 11 is the again it all comes back to oil it's like yes we're at war with like multiple neighbors of your country but we really want to power our gas shit we need to power that because you think back to like 1974 the oil embargo and how that that pretty much brought the country to its fucking knees and they that kind of begins the whole relationship between fucking middle east oil operations and america's war machine the americans have an interesting relationship to the saudis it goes back to fucking fdr doing backroom deals as world war ii is kicking off america needs fucking like a constant supply of fuel and the saudis are all the two willing to provide it so they've had this like this weird relationship ever since it's become like 
noticeably more adversarial as time has gone. Yeah. Because Saudi's, uh, the Saudi's geopolitical end goals are starting to like skew away from America and that's causing friction now. What? Whereas, yeah, this is, this is still the early 2000s. So they're still pretty much on board of like, yeah, we have to get rid of Saddam. We have to topple the Iranians. We have to prop up the Israelis, all this shit. Yeah, I think it's also uh, an, an addition between their goals changing. American uh, political discourse has gotten much more fucked up. Like, literally, these people are like, I won't do business with him because he's a Muslim. That is not how you run business. That is not how you run a country. Like, that's the, you know, as America, like, slowly descends further and further, I've talked about the propaganda machine eating this country. Uh, it's going to lead to problems, especially, like, coming later when, like, if they want to like ban all business with China, how that's gonna fucking destroy them? It's it's an end I don't see good for the country in the long run. You have to do business with people you don't like. That's how you make. That's how you keep a country like America this massive fucking smoke and oil vomiting war machine going. It's essential message of this movie. You have to like. You you may not like this, but this at the end of the day, this is how the show operates. This is how America keeps on shocking. And that's going to be kind of hard as uh, Islamophobia noticeably jacks up. Here in Britain, because our like ruling class is doing the fucking Twitter shake hands emoji of Israel, so like any criticism of them is banned, and that leads to like pretty bad uh, like Islamophobic shit over here. There's been a noticeable spike in that within the last like few days, and. If you're trying to do business with the Saudis, like the Saudis, for the most part, they're like apolitical, but there is like so much they can take before yeah. they were just like, yeah, fuck it, we'll do business with the Chinese. Yeah, they, they, they don't yeah. give, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, the, chi- the G does not have, does not give a fuck. Still willing to cut up a journalist in a fucking embassy, but other than that, like. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's yeah, the thing. That's, it's yeah, yeah. That's that's at the end of the day, that's all they care about. It's like yeah, it's it's where where's the money for our latest hundred foot tall uh, super yacht coming from? Yeah. There's there's very little actual politics here. It's all just like yeah, where's the where's the next billion dollars coming from? But, we but, need uh, we 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 were building our giant uh, like. 20 mile long straight line city, the line, and that money needs to come from somewhere. So go to China. China doesn't care. China is the same thing. We want to have enough money to just become our, like, take over the world. Like I said, money, money talks and bullshit walks. It's funny because the actual, going back to the film, the novel that this movie's based on is called uh, See No Evil, which I think is a very <laughs> apt way to describe how this movie is. It's very much see no evil hear no evil you know just you know people who want to actually make a change the cia guy who grows a heart the the prince who wants to get women to vote all die and the winners are the the greenhorned matt damon who becomes a dickhole and jeffrey wright who plays the game and wins and just loses his humanity it's, this is politics when you play the game of thrones you you either lose and get drone strike or you win and go home with a fat paycheck from the oil company you uh you did add it prop for as a as a politician. This is good stuff. It's a very uh, this is a very dark movie. <laughs> to actually sit down and watch the film, it's 
can at points be incomprehensible. If you're not paying attention, like you'd have to watch this movie, I feel like three times and take notes and shit to get every plot line. But I think the, the grander message of what Geigen tried to do with this film, I think does end up working. I think, cause I did see this film years ago and I couldn't remember the plot, but I do remember it being very, it affected me very deeply when I saw it. And whether, whether or not like it will affect for you is, is one thing, but I do think it's worth watching at least one time just to like, especially now with again we go back to like 20 years later we go back to israel and we go back to the heavy weird like america becoming more and more unhinged and unwilling to do business with people it doesn't like like fucking the president of mexico talking shit like and america's like we need to kill him and it's been a, an amro boy for a while and it is funny watching the last like previous string of mexican presidents have just been sock puppets for america like Vicente fox and shit and amro is the one outlier He's the guy who will go on TV and be like, yeah, death to America, fuck those guys. Well, I think also he, he knows he's got the cartel. He won swift with his pen. They are militarized. It. That's why America will never invade Mexico because he'll make the cartel military power without question. That's what I would do if I was him. Give these machete-wielding, gun-toting lunatics free reign. We'll win the war by in a month. Uh, some crops from Sicario 2 have been making the rounds recently. And if America was ever going to try anything there, it'd probably be something similar to that. Yeah. Just send fucking, like, psycho Benicio Del Toro down there to fuck shit up. Is, uh... that, that's almost worth doing an episode on, because that movie <laughs> that movie's so fucking nut. Like, the first film wasn't exactly a politically, like, sensitive movie, but it was at least interesting. Whereas this film's just, like, full-on just... Yeah, it's, it's the closest to a canon movie we've had for, like, a long fucking time. And it's from the same writer. That's the crazy fucking part. Like, I don't know, because I know he writes Yellowstone. I don't know if he lost his fucking <laughs> yeah. mind, but, like, clearly something happened in between those three years. <laughs> it's, it's what happens when you don't have, uh, like, a strong man like Velenov to, uh, to win your, uh, like, reactionary shine. Yeah. You'll just go hogging like, yeah, uh, uh, the Mexicans are working with the Taliban to destroy America. The, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, end, the end twist that Del Toro is actually like a member of the Melian cartel. And he's like, we need to give them money because they're good. Because Pablo Escobar was a huge economic boom in the 80s and shit. It's so obviously written by a reactionary. And yeah. Villeneuve is smart enough to kind of tone that down it's like when we get when we do falling down eventually it's the same kind of dichotomy of a a writer and a director who are completely different worlds but speaking of a uh, fair enough join us next time for our uh the, the start of the uh, dune month it's uh mm. yeah march's dune month for uh for obvious reasons that certain right. movies coming out soon yes that that movie that you've probably seen if <laughs> unless you live under a rock you've probably not heard of this but uh i'm very i'm very excited to uh to get into that when we get into it but yeah that's that's siriana uh would you recommend it to the audience uh sure but you better prepare to uh, take notes because this movie is a fucking uh fine yeah it's uh it's tough but i still think it's worth a watch just because it's again as you said you don't make movies like this anymore this movie feels so this movie in its current form would never get made today in hollywood and oh, it, fuck no. no so I admire that this movie even exists, and I do think the the, the parts that it work really... It's a movie that's very much like the sum of its parts, where 
as a whole, like, it, it's a lot. It's a lot to digest. But I think it, at the end of the day, the, the the message still hits loud and clear, even if it is you have to cut through a lot of bullshit to get through to it. But it's uh, yeah, cast is great. The directing, while kind of mediocre, is still pretty solid. Robert Ellswood shot this. He shoots for like Paul Thomas Anderson and shit like that. So you know, it's a competently made film. But yeah, I think it's worth a watch. Uh, especially during, uh, yeah, with uh, America falling deeper and deeper into madness. Just how America could handle this if they weren't run by fucking psycho reactionaries. So. If America wasn't, uh, like, five corporations stacked on top of each other in a trench coat, maybe they could actually uh, do some proper diplomacy and not just kill people they don't like. Well, they were doing yeah, that. Yeah, that's another that. universe. They were doing that way before, but they had, like, the... They used to have the... Um, the appeal of like doing it professionally yeah. that is gone now <laughs> it was it was always masked under this like liberal uh new world order shit like post fdr it's like yeah we're saving the world from uh dictators and stuff but it's now it's yeah we don't care we'll we'll let uh we'll let benjamin Netanyahu uh declare himself the the fucking strong man of Israel wouldn't kill thirty thousand people. We'll, so, we'll, we'll, yeah, let, we'll let we actually don't care anymore we'll let a convicted criminal be president like he's gonna be president. I'm. I don't give. Biden will not be. Yeah, he's he's not going anywhere. He's not, yeah, yeah, no. So, uh, I'm so fucking excited for the election uh, this November. So uh, we'll definitely. <sighs> but yeah, that's Syriana. Uh, stay safe, stay happy, and uh, get ready to snort a shitload of spies next month, folks. Because uh, mm -hmm. mm, goddamn. Until recently, one of the least explored regions of the world was northeasterly Saudi Arabia a parched desert across which hardy Bedouins drove their flocks in a never-ending quest for forage and water. Since those days, the customs and clothing of these wandering Bedouins had changed hardly at all. They eked out a meager existence in a lost world, a world that had stood still since before the dawn of Western civilization. On this same desert, through the summer and winter of 1947, motor caravans appeared. Camps were set up of a sort never seen here before. Small airplanes on supply and reconnaissance missions roared overhead, and sturdy trucks beat new paths on the desert. They were carrying Arabs and Americans, surveying a route for a great oil pipeline, a pipeline bearing on the recovery of Western Europe, the prosperity of the Middle East, and the stability of the world. Oil is scarce in many areas today. The cause of that scarcity is not a lack of reserves or a lack of production but rather a lack of economical distribution. To conserve the supplies of the Western Hemisphere, the logical source of oil for Europe is the Middle East, for here are more proved and readily accessible reserves than in all of North and South America together, and the region is rapidly being developed.